Channing, and I'm Elise, and this is the Faithful Feminist Podcast. We focus on feminist interpretation of scriptures and follow the LDS Come Follow Me manual as a guide for study. We understand scriptures can be a tricky endeavor for readers, but we also believe sacred texts contain compelling examples of loving and liberating relationships with the divine, others, and ourselves. We hope you'll join us in exploring the problems and promises of sacred texts with imagination, critique, and celebration to reveal what we feel is the loving and liberating heart of scripture. While Mormonism, with its iconic floral foyer couches, is our background, we follow our faith and our God on the winding path of spirituality over institution and connection over condemnation. We are fellow wanderers, weavers, and doubters. If you found yourself feeling a little too faithful for some and not enough for others, welcome. We've saved you a seat on the soft chairs. This podcast is funded by our listeners' generous donations. If you'd like to support our work, connect with us on Patreon or on our website at www.thefaithfulfeminist.com. Hi friends, welcome back to the podcast. For today's episode, we'll be covering Ezekiel chapters 1 through 3, 33 through 37, and chapter 47 as assigned in the Come Follow Me manual for the dates October 24th through the 30th. These chapters honestly are perfect for Halloween, so we're really excited to share some of the kind of spooky images that we get to see in this week's text. But before we dive into the specifics, Of course, we've always been asking for every single new book and new character that we come across in the text, who is Ezekiel? It's a great question. So Ezekiel was an Israelite refugee from the first Babylonian capture of Israel. If you remember back to our episodes that we did in Jeremiah, Jeremiah prophesied that um, Israelites would be taken out of Jerusalem, um, and it came true, and Ezekiel was one of them. And we learned um, in the very beginning of the book that Ezekiel, on his 30th birthday, received a vision from God that called him to prophetic ministry. The book of Ezekiel contains um, his teachings, calls to repentance, and the vivid visions that he continued to receive throughout his life. Ezekiel's primary prophetic purpose was to critique Israel for idolatry and their failure to live up to covenant responsibilities. And additionally, he was also called to bring the people of Israel to repentance and to foretell the future that awaited Israel and the surrounding kingdoms if they did not repent. The book of Ezekiel was kind of a little bit tricky because there's not like a really fantastic organization to it, but um, this framework might be helpful for some of our listeners to understand the book of Ezekiel. Um, we we found it really helpful to look at the book of Ezekiel in two different parts, um, splitting between chapters 1 through 33 um, being the first part, and then the second part being chapters 34 through 33. 48. Um, The first part, we can kind of see Ezekiel's call to ministry, his attempts to persuade the Israelites to repentance, and his prophetic visions of God, and the destruction of Jerusalem and the surrounding nations. 
And then for the second part, um, chapters 34 through 38, we can kind of see Ezekiel's visions of a restoration of the Israelite community and a community and a people that live in right relationship with God. We also see the neighboring nations restored, and we also see the earth restored, which we will talk about today. Um, in this second half of Ezekiel, God seems to be really making everything new. And we wanted to give a little bit of credit for this framework. Um and the conceptualization of the book of Ezekiel too. Um, there's a website called The Bible Project, and they offer like short, concise little videos about what each book um, in the Hebrew Bible is about. Um, so shout out to them. That was really helpful to kind of have a visual aid to look at um, how to put all these chapters together. So we're just so excited to dive in today. Yes. Now, maybe just as a side note, there are some really problematic chapters um, especially like chapter 16 and chapter 23, which aren't assigned for the Come Follow Me manual. But these chapters deal with the metaphor of a woman being used to describe Israel's betrayal and wickedness against God, which we've talked about in the past. So just, I don't know how much of Ezekiel you're all planning to read, but there's kind of like a content warning for those chapters being particularly graphic, vulgar, and quite brutal. Mm-hmm. But I think if we start at the first three chapters that are assigned, Ezekiel has a creative, very creative, and also very, very spooky vision of God that I think it's important for us to like highlight simply because of how fanciful and kind of magical it is. So Ezekiel has this vision of four creatures with wings. They have feet like a cow, hands like a man, and they're all like joined together. And they have four different faces. There's the face of a man, the face of a lion, the face of an ox, and the face of an eagle. And this creature, they are all, or like, I, I guess they're combined. So it's standing on top of this wheel. And this wheel is made all of eyeballs. So spooky. And yes. above them, above this creature, there's this like platform that holds a throne. And on the throne sits a man. And there's this... You like can't really make out this person because it's so bright, but we know that this person is the color of fire and amber. And it's not till the very end of chapter one that Ezekiel realizes, oh my gosh, this is God. <laughs> like this is God on this throne. <laughs> and because of this, well, two things I was thinking of. First, I was thinking, because I don't have children, I don't under I don't know if this is a great idea. So Channing, you can tell me. But one of the things I was thinking of is that like you could try. <laughs> You could have your kids try and draw this picture of God for like family home evening or something and like see what hilarious renditions come out. I really love like child drawings. Oh my gosh, that would be I I actually want to do it that with my kids really bad because they would they would come oh, up with some wild. cool stuff. Yeah. yeah. Very magical and very mystical. And I think the second thing that I'm thinking is, what do I not expect God to look like? Or where do I not expect God to be? So this week, I'm going to practice looking and imagining God in ways that I'm not really accustomed to or in ways that I don't usually expect God to show up. Yes, we love that theme. It's something that we talk a lot about on the podcast, the the God of surprises, a mm -hmm. surprising God. And we also see this theme of God being in unexpected places continue to show up in the first three chapters of Ezekiel because obviously Ezekiel does not expect God to show up to him in Babylon. Ezekiel is thinking, wait, aren't you supposed to be like at the temple in Jerusalem? Um, because that's where the Ark of the Covenant is. Um, but 
God has actually left Jerusalem because of the unrighteousness there and is is there with Ezekiel in Babylon. So we can kind of take that same context and um, for our own selves and continue to look for an unexpected God in unexpected places. And we think that that's a really powerful takeaway from these first three chapters. Jumping a little bit later, well, kind of a lot a bit later into the book of Ezekiel, we're going to look at chapter 33. And in this chapter, it speaks about the role of the watchmen who are called to like raise a warning voice. And this chapter says, if you're called to be a watchman and you see the sword falling upon your land and falling on upon your people, you have a responsibility to quote, blow the trumpet and warn the people. Then verses four through six say that if the watchman has warned the people, but the people do not like listen to the warning, it's their own fault. Like it's the blame is on the people for not heeding the call. But then on the flip side, if the watchman sees the sword or sees the harm, but does not blow the trumpet and does not warn the people, then the watchman is responsible for not protecting the people. And I think we wanted to unpack this story just a bit by first asking who are the watchmen? Sometimes I think that the watchmen could be like folks on the margins because they tend to have a more accurate view of the world because they're actually not committed to the status quo in the same ways that people in dominant positions are. And folks on the margins have had to learn how to live in both dominant and marginalized spaces because it's a survival skill. We also think that watchmen could be allies, you know, these people who are looking out for the marginalized and and also using their trumpet influence to speak to the dominant culture too, not just not just to warn the marginalized groups. Yeah, I think that's a really powerful way to interpret the Watchmen. And I think it's a really great parable. It functions really well in that literary way. Um, I think it's really powerful to look at it that way because the story reminds us, especially um, as Elise and I are allies and the rest of our listeners who also find themselves in an ally position, that we have a responsibility to keep a lookout for potential harm and abuse that could come towards marginalized groups. It reminds us of the saying, I'm sure you've heard it before, see something, say something. Um, and that's a line that that yes, has been used to prevent terrorism. Like we've heard it at the airport, right? See something, say something. But it's also popularly used in instances of abuse and sexual assault. If you see something, blow your freaking trumpet. This parable also invites compassion and empathy for marginalized folks as watchmen because they're always on the lookout and they are always calling out warnings of harm. Sometimes we might become frustrated with folks who seem to only ever talk about social justice issues. We ask ourselves and sometimes even ask them, like, why can't they just relax for a bit? Why do they always have to be posting about racism or homophobia? We really think that this parable offers an answer to these questions and offers some context for experiences of annoyance. First, as watchmen, these folks are constantly on the lookout and there is harm everywhere all of the time, especially for someone who holds multiple marginalized identities. This world is a constant onslaught of harm and violence and threats. And secondly, as watchmen, marginalized folks are trying to keep their communities safe. This is a story of one single watchman. And with this, with this perspective, I think we can really begin to understand how it can often feel like the weight of the world is falling on your shoulders because you're trying to co- because you're trying to protect your community and it feels like you it's up to you, you one singular one person. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think those are some great points and why this is a really remarkable parable. But then on the flip side, I think that sometimes this can be seen as like kind of a rough parable too, if we stick with this like marginalized or allyship outlook, because for Watchmen's on the margins, it is an exhausting task, especially like you said, if you're the only Watchmen, you have to be up like 24 hours a day and be constantly Mm -hmm. vigilant and it can feel like there's no time to rest. Additionally, if marginalized folks are supposed to be the ones that are the watchmen, it can make it seem like they have a responsibility for keeping powerful and privileged people and allies safe, which is not true. Finally, marginalized watchmen have the double weight of both staying safe and then the added responsibility of keeping others safe, which is a really heavy burden to bear alone. So I hope that as we move throughout this week, we might consider doing two things. One, switch shifts with one of your fellow watchmen to let others sleep and rest. Let them know that you have their back and that you will keep them and their communities safe. Secondly, we can practice being vigilant in our watch, like watching efforts and not shirk away from calling out oppression and warning others. So those are some of the takeaways that we had for chapter 33, which we really, really loved. Yeah, those are really, really beautiful. Moving on to chapter 34, which just, you know, is right next to it, the next chapter. We also find a parable that's really similar to that of the watchman. In this chapter, Ezekiel shares another parable about a group of shepherds who do not feed the flock. In other words, they have not kept watch and they have not cared for their community, you know, metaphorically their sheep, um, which is Israel or the people that they live with. And what we really love about this chapter is that instead of being passive and simply mourning the lost sheep and the sheep who have been killed, God steps in and says, fine, if you aren't going to do it, then I guess I'm going to have to do it myself. And I think that for those who are really needing a reminder and reassurance that God will show up in history and care for you, this can be a really comforting and powerful story. Yeah, so just to give a bit of a summary of what God says to these sheep slash these people, because really God is incredibly active here. I think it would be one thing if God simply like killed off all of the wicked shepherds and then said like, boom, there you go, sheep. I took away your enemy. So now you're totally free. Like, good luck. And while it is that is important to like get rid of the air quotes, wicked shepherds, this actually doesn't help the sheep long term. They need to be back with their community. They need steady food. They need support and health care. They need shelter and resources for success. So when God shows up in chapter 34 with plans and promises to see these plans through, I think this is perhaps one of the most loving acts and interactions with God that I've seen, especially recently. Mm -hmm. In this chapter, God says things like, I will deliver my flock from your mouth that you will not eat them as meat. I will both search and seek for my sheep. I will gather them out of the cloudy and dark places and bring them to their own land. I will feed them in a good pasture and I will let them rest. I will bind up the broken ones and strengthen the sick ones. I will save my flock and they shall no more be prey. I will make a covenant of peace with them and remove all of the evil beasts from the land so that they are able to dwell safely in the wilderness and that they're able to safely sleep in the woods. God says, I will shower them with blessings. I will raise them plants so that they will never be hungry. And the last promise that God makes to the sheep or to the people 
God says, thus they will know that I, the Lord, their God, am with them and that they are my people. Yeah, that's a promise that we actually see uh, kind of continued, especially throughout the second half of Ezekiel. And I think it's just like, it's so poetic. And um, every time I hear it, every time I hear that phrase, you know what it reminds me of? Hmm. Totally reminds me of the Ruth and Naomi moment where oh, like whether Ruth, you, yeah, whether you go, you I go, go, I'll go, and mm-hmm. your God is my God. Every oh. time I hear that, that's what I think of. I, I think that. it's just such a beautiful way. It's a it's a beautiful sentence, right? It's very poetically written, but it also like rings a bell in me for like another really powerful story of like connection and commitment and devotion Mm -hmm. and love and care for others and yeah I think so this is a really good mirror too right like we see God in this chapter really planning to seek out to gather and restore the sheep then God like provides things like mutual aid and structural support for these sheep by caring for their physical and material needs with things like food housing and healthcare. Then we see God blessing these people with safety and security and promises that all of their needs will be met. And finally, our favorite sentence, just like we said, God promises to never abandon them with that iconic lover's line of I am yours and you are mine. So good. Mm, I love this chapter. I think it's so wonderful. And I, I, I'm going to return to it whenever I need a reminder that my God is willing to do that for me. And I think maybe if people have listened listened to the podcast for a while, you'll know that we understand God to be a verb. Like God is love made manifest through other people. So when I say that I feel loved because God is going to take care of me, that's me saying that I know I will be taken care of because I have good loving people in my life. And I also want to do that for other people, not in like a white savior way, but in a way that positively impacts people's material lived experiences and provides and provides them with safety and resources and promises that I will see through. Yeah, absolutely. Chapter 34 is like, I really feel like it's kind of like a point that the text turn, like a turning point in the text to like imagining and restoring and building something really new and promising. Um, And so from there, I think it, I think I feel really excited about moving um, to chapter 36. I actually kind of want to talk about chapter 36, 37, and 47 together as a whole because we see a couple of themes um, that are interwoven with each other. And for me, as I go through and read the text, one of the things that feels like very present and very prominent in these three chapters is the concept of newness and rebirth and um, recreation. So I'm going to go through and um, kind of give each chapter like a little theme, um, but in the back of our mind, remembering that the umbrella is um, recreation. Okay, so if we move to chapter 36, in this chapter, we get some imagery that um, is reminiscent of a garden, but we also see God nurturing and caring for and even tending to the hearts of the people. And to me, this really speaks to um, the experience of our soul. Like this is the the part of our our. I don't know, the part of our body or the part of our like earthly experience that includes like the spiritual or what we would normally call like the sacred. So this is the soul experience. In chapter 36, verse 9, we get a little bit of that gardening imagery where God says, quote, For behold, I am for you, and I will turn unto you, and ye shall be tilled and sown, end quote. So that imagery of tilling the garden, of 
um, digging, digging the old things up and tilling them back into the earth so that they can decompose and also planting new seeds. We get that imagery there. Then if we move to verses 26 through 28, um, we hear a little bit more about this soul restoration. We hear God say, a new heart also will I give you and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your ancestors and you shall be my people and I will be your God. And then, and then kind of like as the culmination of this chapter, once God has replaced this, you know, stony heart after tilling it and planting something new there, we hear God saying, quote, and the desolate land shall be tilled and all the people who walk by, this isn't a quote, (laughs) but all the people who walk by are going to say like, wow, remember when this land was like totally barren and the only thing here was like desert and sand? Um, The text says, that these people shall say, quote, this land was desolate and has become like the Garden of Eden. Okay, Garden of Eden, everyone knows that I am like, ooh, ding, 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 talking about Genesis chapters one and two. Big, big nerd. So we're going to see, <laughs> we're going to see some more like Garden of Eden uh, creation story threads here as well as we talk about chapter 37. Okay, will you read this? In chapter 37, Ezekiel has another vision, this time where he is taken into a valley full of, again, something spooky, human bones, which he describes as like very dry, meaning very, very long time dead bones. And God speaks over these dry bones saying in chapter 37, verse 5, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and ye shall live. I will lay sinews or organs upon you. And will bring flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and ye shall live and know that I am the Lord. So Ezekiel watched as the bones began to move and shake and come together and be formed back into a wholly formed, living, breathing human body. And this chapter functions as like a metaphorical resurrection of the Israelite people to a healthful wholeness and peace founded on a right and proper relationship with their covenant God. Yeah. So in this chapter, we see, um, not only, right, like not only now the soul has been restored and the stony heart has been replaced with the heart of flesh, but we also see another aspect of our embodied experience, our bodies. Like these bodies are being recreated out of dry, very long dead bones. Like that dry bones imagery is like intentional. It's meant to tell us like these bones are so dead, like super, super dead. (laughs) Like archaeology dig dead Mm -hmm. Um, to emphasize the great like power and majesty of God that um, God is able to restore these like very long dry dead bones back to life. And then finally, as we move into chapter 47, again, we get some more of that Garden of Eden imagery. So in this chapter, Ezekiel has, um, in his final vision, he sees a river that is flowing out from the restored temple in the new Israelite land, and this river is flowing toward the Dead Sea. In chapter 47, verses 8 through 12, the text says, quote, And the Lord said unto me, Ezekiel, These waters go into the sea, and these waters shall be healed. And it shall come to pass that everything that liveth, which moveth, whithersoever the river shall come, shall live. 
and there shall be a very great multitude of fish, because these healed waters shall come thither. And by the river, upon the bank thereof, on this side and on that side, shall grow all trees, whose leaves shall not fade, and whose fruit shall be for meat, and the leaf for medicine, end quote. So remember, the Dead Sea is like, a dead, giant dead. lake full of salt. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's just like the it's just like Great Salt Lake where nothing lives in it except for uh, brine shrimp and algae. <laughs> There's nothing like edible to go in there. Um, so it would basically be like a entirely different um, body of water because it wouldn't be so salinated. So um, creatures that we recognize as creatures like animals and plants would be able to thrive there, but it would require a complete recreation of the landscape and what it actually looks like. So yeah, again, there's just so many echoes, uh, especially of the first two chapters of Genesis and these final um, bits of Ezekiel. And I think now kind of like what we're seeing and I what I feel really excited about in this part of the book, this is something we shared on the podcast before, kind of throughout the Hebrew Bible, we think that we might be seeing God going through their own like growth and learning process. And, um, you know, we've seen God do a lot of creating in Genesis and we've seen God do like a lot of destroying throughout the rest of the Hebrew Bible. But what's really um, exciting is especially those chapters about like tilling and the garden, we get to see like God actually like getting excited about the idea of like destruction and decomposition and the necessity for things to die away so that something new can grow in its place. And then we also get to see in these chapters, not only is God like now playing with the idea of creation and destruction, but God is also playing with the idea of recreating something new out of the pieces of the old way or the old system or um, the old ways of being, which I think is really promising. I'm excited mm-hmm. to see what comes up next after Ezekiel and maybe kind of like watch this this growth process. And finally, the thing that um, really stuck out to me reading these three chapters kind of together thematically is to recognize um, that the care of these three aspects of our embodied experience, our soul experience, our like physical body experience, and then um, our re- interrelationship with the earth, that they are interconnected and that caring for the body and caring for the soul and caring for the earth, they are all sacred and they all feed one another. They go together in the text so often and it's a pattern that we see like happen over and over and over again. Um, so it was really exciting to read that here in Ezekiel as well. I think that's such a fantastic reading that you offered. And it's a really, really nice way to end the book of Ezekiel, especially because it's a longer book. It's probably, I think it's, yeah, it's 48 chapters, Mm -hmm. but the Israelites go through some really, really rough destruction in those chapters. So to follow the story arc and see God at the end, really, really inviting new promises for hope and new relationship, I think is a is a glorious way to end the book. So thank you everyone for listening this week and for being with us as we work through the book of Ezekiel. We love you so, so much, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Friends, thank you so much for joining us today for another episode of the Faithful Feminist Podcast. We know your time and space is sacred, and we are so grateful to have spent ours with you. 
If you enjoyed this episode, we'd be so happy if you left us a loving rating on iTunes and Spotify so other seekers can find us. Financial donations support the many hours of research, work, and devotion to each episode, as well as the everyday costs of creating and publishing the podcast. You can support us on Patreon or through a simple Venmo donation and help us create a world where creators, artists, activists, and beauty makers are valued and paid for their labor. Find us on those platforms and on Instagram as The Faithful Feminists. We are deeply grateful for your kindness and encouragement. We love you so much, and we hope to spend more time with you again soon. Bye, friends.